This morning I want to... We've been looking through the book of Acts and the question that has been on my heart as we continue to read through the book of Acts is why? Why? That's the question I keep asking. Why? And so that's going to be kind of the focus of this morning. Uh, I apologize to those of you parents of young children who have gotten sick of that question. Probably already heard it 50 times this morning, but I'm going to keep asking it. Um, And we're looking at Acts 9 this morning. And so I'm going to begin by uh, reading... Uh, The first half of Acts 9. Starting with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And so one of the themes throughout the book of Acts is the divine initiative partnering with human participation. And we see that here in chapter 9 as well. God is at work and God is inviting people, calling people to join God in God's mission. But why? Why, God? Why are you choosing to use this ragtag bunch of people to further your kingdom? Why, God, why would you choose the Lansdale House Church to go to the Golden Living Center to minister to people there? Why? 
And I think that question came to me most prominently here because in chapter 9, Jesus is speaking to Saul face to face and he tells him, go into the city and wait for Ananias. Jesus, why are you relying on Ananias when you were just speaking to Saul face to face? Why not just tell him? Why use Ananias? Why? And then later in the chapter, the Holy Spirit utilizes Barnabas in a key role to speak on behalf of Saul and convince the others of his genuine conversion. The other disciples are like, Saul, that's the guy that was trying to kill us all. Barnabas is like, no, this dude is legit. Why use Barnabas? Why not appear to the other disciples as he appeared to Ananias? And of course, the main point of this story is that God is choosing to use Saul to deliver his message to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the people of Israel. But why? Why, Jesus? Why don't you just appear to them? Why don't you fill them with the Holy Spirit? Why do you choose to use people to further your mission? I think part of the answer lies in the truth that salvation in Jesus is not just about life after death. It's about participating with God in the here and now. It's purposeful. We are saved for something, not just from something. We are saved for something, not just from something. We are saved for participation in God's reign being fulfilled in the here and now. But why? Why does God continually call upon us to continue to call upon people to fulfill God's purposes? Why? A few weeks ago, uh, Alex and I were having a conversation. We were talking a little bit about some of these things, and uh, Alex gave me an idea. And so... Uh, I uh, actually pestered a few people this week um, asking random questions through email and phone calls, and uh, these people had no idea what I was up to or what I was getting at. Um, But six of them uh, were kind enough to answer my questions. Actually, a few others uh, were as well. But uh, I'm going to invite those six people up. So Liam, uh, Clyde, Dave, Bob, Ken, and Lindsay, if you could... Uh, come up and and I think that their responses to some of my questions may shed some light on why God might choose to call upon us to participate in God's mission. Um, hopefully. <laughs> but as they come up, I need you to know that I asked these people questions very cryptically. Uh, So they had no idea what I was getting at or how I might use their responses. In fact, they're still a little unsure as they come up here. But hopefully their responses will give us some insight into why God calls us to join in God's mission. Uh, And so the first first question I asked Liam uh, who his favorite band was and how he would respond if they invited him to collaborate in the studio with them on a new album. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> but I have one on team, so I just pick one. And the one that I chose was the Foo Fighters, and that's just because they play loud rock music. And I like that 
I told Ben that I would be excited and that I would agree. Um, that it would, it would seem like I was getting together with other friends because I know Ben well and I've been following him for a long time. I've watched probably a few too many documentaries. Um, they just seem like it would be a lot of fun to spend time with. Uh, get a chance to be creative, to be more respect, stay with our key and all that kind of stuff. And also, because they're all older now, they, like me, um, <laughs> they all have kids and they make records at each other's houses and lifestyle stuff isn't the kind of concern that might have been. <laughs> Great, thanks. Uh, and I asked Clyde a similar question. Uh, one of his favorite bands is uh, Genesis. So this is Clyde's response. mentioned too was uh, oh, let's see it would be a humbling experience but also be exhilarating and that he would enjoy learning and he thinks they'd be really interesting people to get to know Another huge Genesis fan. Uh, unlike Clyde and Liam, Dave is not quite as musically gifted, but I thought it would be good to ask him a similar question. If Genesis were to ask, them, ask Dave to join him or join them in collaborating and putting together some music, what Dave's response would be? Dave. Uh, yeah, and I asked Ken uh, how he would respond if his chef he respects, who is Julia Child, if she wanted to cook with him, what Ken would would say. Yeah, I would be, first of all, I'd be honored to be with her. And 
I really love just to cook with her and to be in the same kitchen would be amazing. But she also brought, uh, she also brought, um, just cooking with her would be amazing and to ask her questions about why uh, she was the first chef that really brought uh, French cuisine to America. Uh, but she also uh, stressed the importance of families eating at the dinner table. And she saw that families were getting away from the dinner table. And she was really right. Uh, and that's kind of been a motivation that I have to opening, trying to come into a business where families will spend more time around the table and less, you know, internet, uh, phones. I mean, she was on to something I really love that she loved the family and thought society should be with the family. That was really awesome. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, and Bob shared his perspective on uh, what it would be like to work with a gifted photographer. I'll go for my notes. <laughs> then we began an interaction with that school, who I value, who, who I look for, who got the in photography. And then he came back with the final question, is what would it be like to work with him? I'd say this would be invigorating. An opportunity to watch and learn. A time to ask how and why. A time to ask how and why he or she approaches subjects and situations. What are the decisions that go into creating an image? What are you trying to communicate? How do you get your how do you best get your goal across to your audience? It's a time for learning principles, for gaining perspective, a conscious decision to make the, mess, make the most of the moment, and then to build on the experience. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. And yeah, I also asked Lindsay what it would be like if one of her favorite artists, Monet, invited her to work with him. Yeah, it was a um, really interesting question, and like Liam, I had a really hard time thinking favorite artists one, um, so I probably need like four or five, but um, picking Monet, um, you know, his work really captured me from a young age, and um, his use of color, and just so going into, if, if he asked me to, to to work with him, I mean, I would be so um, just in shock, but I'd have to think that he saw something in me to want to work with him, um, and so I would find a little confidence in that, I guess, but I could just picture us like sitting in his garden for hours, just watching the sun move and how it changed the shadows and where the colors were and you know we probably take out our paints and just I watch him where he picked how he picked colors and where he put them on the canvas and you know I just I just want to sit with him and just see what he did for a day in the studio or out in, in uh, plein air you know painting and, um, I just I love his process and that he would come visit the same site um, you, uh, season after season to see how the light changed and how where the colors were and, and just that whole thing just to watch it work and, and learn from them would be amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you all once again for putting up with my questions and um, but yeah, as they you all can return to your seats as they return to their seats, um, I'd like to ask you all what did you what stood out to you in their responses. 
Uh, anything catch your attention as they shared? This is your opportunity to participate. Yeah. Um, when Lindsay said that it would, like, her confidence would come out, I thought that was really... Because mm. if I would like to circle this back and make sense of what you're asking, <laughs> you go back to God since that's the setting that we're in. <laughs> um, if that's, like, how my relationship is with God, he does, like, there is a reason he's mm. asking to Yeah, yeah. It's like God might be empowering you to do something. Yeah, great. Anybody else? Caleb. Yeah. They all seem really excited to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. It was really fascinating for me. Like, even though it was kind of cryptic and uh, maybe a little bit annoying, like I felt like I was gaining an appreciation for them as people and their passions and their interests too. So it was fun for me. Hopefully, it was all right for them as well. Yes. And they all expressed a desire to learn from a master right. to become more like them. So that was a very common theme, just to learn from this person they value. Yeah. Yeah, what, what really struck me is, and some of them up here kind of changed their answers a little bit, actually, which is okay, but in, in their initial responses... Hardly any of them talked about the final product. Nobody was like, oh, we would have this awesome album. Like, it would be just the best album. Nobody said, oh, we would create, we would paint a masterpiece. What did they all focus on? It was all about the opportunity to be with that person or that band. It was all about this connection, gaining an opportunity to learn from them, to be with them, to understand them better, to understand their music or their art better. To understand their process. And I think what that kind of, as I process this, and hopefully it makes a connection with you, I think part of God's reasoning for inviting us and actually in some ways depending on us to further God's mission is that God desires communion with us. I think that's God's heart. God wants us to grow in communion. And so we grow into that communion by working alongside God, by joining God in the very mission that God is after. God's purpose is building that kingdom, and God wants us to be a part of that. Not just because God needs us, but God chooses to depend on us because He knows that as we participate alongside God, we're going to grow into communion. We're going to grow into what salvation really is, that relationship, that connection with God. And so I, yeah, I loved those responses. Uh, it was just so fascinating to me to hear, yeah, what would it be like to work with a master? And some of them were like, yeah, it would be really intimidating. I don't, why would, most of them were like, well, why would they ask me? And well, that's the question we ask God, right? Why, God, why are you using me? And I don't know what the Foo Fighters' motive would be for asking Liam, to be honest, but I believe that God's motive is, I want you to get to know me better, and I want to see you grow in communion. Uh, I believe that is what God has envisioned from creation. God, the three-in-one trinity, is communal in God's very self. Three-in-one. It's a community in God's self. And God's vision from the beginning is to invite others into that community. To share the gift of communion with others. 
so that we might enter into relationship, into communion with God and with one another. And one of the ways we develop that communion, that relationship, is by participating with God, participating in the very life, in the very mission of God. We are created and redeemed for communion with God and with one another. And as we participate with God, we become more and more the people God created us to be. God sees something in us, and God grows that and empowers us with the Holy Spirit. We grow in communion by participating in the very life of the triune God. What a gift! Can you imagine? What a gift! God could have done all this on His own. God could have spoke to Saul and said, Saul, I want you to take this message to everybody else. But he said, no, Ananias, I want you to join with me in this. I want you to go see Saul. What a gift that our salvation is in the very process of us participating with God. And what an amazing... What a... Ah, man... It blew my mind when I was having this conversation with Alex. Like, what if the Beatles invited you to join them in the studio? Yeah, I'd be super pumped. What if God invites you to join what God's doing? Isn't that so much more awesome than any Beatles album? All due respect to the Beatles, I know there's some big fans, but... My goodness, the God of all creation wants us to care for God's creation. Wants us to share the message of salvation with others. And it's made possible by God's creating, by Christ's reconciling, and the Holy Spirit's empowering. God with us, and us with God. Sorry, I can't... Ah, I can't wrap my mind around it. still... Why, God? Why, God? God is doing something in us, growing in us helping us to know God even more in that participation in the work. Uh, but yeah, as I, as I look back at this chapter 9, I think, I think there are some important implications that we can learn from the text about what it means to participate with God. And one of the big things, one of the striking things is that Saul already thought he was joining in God's work in persecuting Christians and sending them to jail. He thought he was, he was... He was zealous for God. And so I think we need to realize that joining in God's work takes a whole lot of humility, but coupled with conviction. It's a humble conviction, a humble boldness to recognize that I may not know what God's up to. And so I need to pay attention I mean, Saul was, if we were to talk about Saul today, we would call him an extremist, a radical, a terrorist. These are words we would use to describe Saul. He was so convicted that what he was doing was right, he was willing to kill. But the beauty of Saul's conversion is that he goes from somebody who's willing to kill to somebody who's willing to suffer and die. That's... Humility. That's transformation.
And we see this humility in, in Saul's letter in 1 Corinthians 13. Saul talks about only seeing dimly. Now it's striking in this passage in Acts, he's blind. But before this, Saul thought he saw very clearly. And I think that Saul maybe sings a different version of Amazing Grace than we do. I think Saul sings something like, I thought I could see, but Jesus blinded me. I mean, it took, it took blindness for Saul to see clearly that he only sees dimly. And I think that's an important posture that we need to have, a humble conviction. And I loved what Kent shared with us uh, last gathering about witnessing, and there was a great humility in that. I only share what I'm seeing Jesus do in me. I'm not thumping somebody over the head with the Bible. I'm just witnessing to what I have seen Christ do in me, and there was great humility in that. And I don't want to say that our humility, it's humble boldness. We're still bold because we do believe that we are working for God. But we have to do so with humility. And part of that humility is because we don't get to decide who God's going to save. If it was up to Ananias, he would not have gone to see Saul. And so that's another implication from this is that uh, our working with God... And, and Kent mentioned this two weeks ago, and I, I had to repeat it because I see it in this passage too. It requires availability. And Kent talked about it's not an opportunity issue. Opportunities abound for us to work with God, but it's an availability issue. Ananias, I'm sure, was looking for opportunities. And then Jesus appears to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go see Saul. Excuse me? You mean the guy that's been chasing around my friends? Putting us in prison? You, you want me to go see Saul? Are you sure, Jesus? And so we have to be available even when Christ calls us to something crazy. Because that's often how God works. I was talking with uh, Dennis earlier. He said, yeah, what if... What if a family in Renew had a dream that they were supposed to take in a refugee family in the midst of this crisis? I thought, that sounds like a God vision. I don't know. Would we be available to that? And Dennis also reminded us that lots of people are having visions of Jesus. And they need Ananias. They need people who are available to go and to share with them, yeah, this is who you saw. And this is what I believe about him. So it takes availability as well. And the last thing, I think, yeah, that availability, that God might be doing something crazy because God is also at work in bringing about communion between us. And that happens through reconciliation uh, and so participation with God is also participation in community, in community with others. And oh, this passage is beautiful. What's the first thing that Ananias says when he sees Saul? He says, brother, can you imagine? 
This guy's been chasing around his friends, putting them in prison, having them killed. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Jesus wants to use you too. And there's this great interdependence that they have. See, Saul needs Ananias. He's blind. And so that reconciliation, Saul may not have been specifically targeting Ananias, but definitely his friends. Now Saul's depending on this very person that he came. What reconciliation is happening? And Saul later has to depend on Barnabas because the other disciples are like, we can't trust this guy. How do we know he's not just faking so he can figure out who we are? And Barnabas Barnabas steps up. We need each other. Barnabas steps up and says, No, this, this Saul, he's the real deal. Jesus has transformed this man. He's one of us. We can trust him. And his disciples are like, All right, Barnabas, we trust you. And Saul is able to carry out his mission, but not without the help of his friends. So, so God is inviting us into communion with, one, with God and also with one another. Through our interdependence, through our community, we need each other. We need Ananiases who are there to say, this is what that vision meant. This is what Jesus is calling you to. We need Barnabases who are there to encourage us and to speak out on our behalf and say, no, this guy's got something This woman has a word from the Lord that the whole community needs to hear. We need to give her the mic. All right, let's do it. We need people to encourage us. We need people to speak God's truth to us when we're down. And in that, we develop community. We develop communion. What a gift. What a gift. God calls us to participate in the full fulfillment of the kingdom. I can't get over it. Why, God? Why would you choose me? Why does God use us? Because God wants us to grow in our knowledge of Him, to grow in communion with the Holy Trinity. God's not in the business of changing everything on God's own but allows that transformation to happen through God's people. Friends, we've been given a great gift. Great gift. We are reconciled to God through the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ. But that's only the beginning of the good news. Through Christ, we can experience communion with God. And that communion is more fully realized as we participate in the kingdom mission of God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and in fellowship with others. And that's part of why we're looking at these kingdom experiments. It's part of why Lancel House Church said, yeah, why not go to the Golden Living Center? Sure, it wasn't perfect, 
It had challenges, but there was beauty in it too. And the beauty was they were participating with God and growing in what it means to be God's people. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that salvation is, is much more than being able to go to heaven when I die. I'm so grateful that I get an opportunity to participate in the life of God here and now. And it's in this promise that God chooses to use us. It's in this promise and invitation that we pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Holy Spirit, through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. Amen.